One, two. Check, check, check. All right, Terry, what did you have for breakfast this morning? Some high-grain cereal. Nice. All right, we're yes. good. Is that, a, is that a typical breakfast? No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Terry Scally in three, two, one. Welcome to the Pottercast. I'm Michael Potter. Thanks a bunch for joining me. Well, as you heard in that uh, opening slash mic check, I'll be talking with Terry Scally today. I met Terry in the insurance industry. I met a ton of great people in the industry, and Terry's one of my favorites. He, like me and like so many others, didn't grow up aspiring to be in insurance or go to college to be in insurance, but the opportunity presented itself, and uh, you'll hear him tell his story. When he jumped in, he found that it could uh, satisfy some of that entrepreneurial spirit that he had in him, and he was able to grow some great businesses, sell those, start new ones, acquire more, and uh, he's still at it uh, to this day. So the thing I really enjoy about Terry, too, over the years is he's been very gracious with his time when I've gone to him to ask advice, to ask his thoughts on certain things. He spends a lot of time with me, and he's always very interested in finding out what my interests are and what I want to achieve and trying to figure out a way to help me get there. Uh, no different in this conversation. I went out to his house. He gave me plenty of time, and we had a really fun conversation. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Terry Scally on the Pottercast. So, Terry, tell the folks here, uh, how did you get into insurance? I mean, growing up in KC, where you're like, I cannot wait to get a college degree and get involved in insurance. How did that all transpire? No, so I went to school <laughs> at the University of Arizona in Tucson, a business degree in marketing major, and went to work for a really good uh, company in the marketing space, Coca-Cola USA, the parent company of Coke. And after three times telling them, no, I would not relocate to Atlanta <laughs> and accept promotions and so forth. I was engaged to a local Phoenix girl, and I did not want to lose her, and she did not want to leave. So <laughs> that, that, that put me in a position where uh, they, they basically told me, you need to look for something else if you're not going to allow us to promote you into the, uh, the next steps in the company and, and move you around the country. So interviewed with a couple of companies. One was uh, really deep into the uh, computer space. The other one was an, in an insurance company, Wausau Insurance Company. Right. When I was in college, computer classes were Fortran. And <laughs> right. it was not a lot of fun. You'd spend hours and hours and hours doing uh, punch cards. And hopefully what, what printed out after about eight hours of work was a smiley face at the end of that. <laughs> right. And so I just did not see the the intrigue of being in the computer space at that time. Probably a, a mistake uh, given the long-term <laughs> right. you know, growth of that industry. But that's what that's what got me into the insurance business. It was the other company that was looking to hire me. And so you were on the company side initially. When did you switch over to the agency side? Yeah, so I was with Wausau for about uh, two and a half years, and I was one of their direct writer producers. So gotcha. I was producing insurance but working directly for the insurance company. And I, I found it a little bit inhibiting not being able to provide things that my clients wanted that my insurance company did not provide. And so when I was a, uh, approached by a national broker, Jardine Insurance Brokers at the time, I, I, I took the role with them. So you went from marketing to insurance production. W was that an easy switch for you? Did you find that a, a very different business? Uh, for me, the, the the qualifier was I was going to be doing business to business sales. No, no, um, you know, kitchen counter after dinner sort of meetings with people. Right. And, and I was used to that. You know, uh, with Coke USA, I was in the um, 
the restaurant space. And so I was meeting with restaurant owners and, and people who were serving fountain drinks. So I felt like I could handle that, uh, sh that shift to business owners in the insurance world. It, it was a very technical um, learning experience. I didn't know anything about insurance when I started. So when I met you in the insurance game, you were in, in ownership, owning your own agencies. How did that transpire from getting with Jardine as a producer moving into the ownership? So during an M&A activity on the part of Jardine, they bought another local firm and they started uh, looking for cost uh, um, synergies. And I was one of those cost synergies. <laughs> Myself and two or three other people were terminated and they took our books of business and basically gave them to other people within the firm in an, in an effort to, I believe, increase the bottom line of the, the, the combined enterprise. That put me in a position where I needed to think about what I was gonna do next. There was an opportunity for me to go to work with other firms as a producer or to start my own. I decided to start my own firm. So that, that entrepreneurial kind of switch, I mean, as a producer, you're kind of entrepreneurial as well. You're kind of building your own business inside another, but they own it. That was kind of, I mean, did you always think, hey, eventually I want to own my own business or was that just a catalyst right there? I think that was the catalyst. I, it wasn't, there wasn't some grand plan. It was, um, you know, opportunity presented itself. Um, it, it, it had been nothing that I had been targeting. I just found myself looking at this opportunity and saying, okay, that makes sense to me. So many people say, like, when they get let go of a job or fired or whatever you want to call it, like, in hindsight, it was one of the best things that ever happened to them. It seems like that might be the case with you, with this situation. Yeah, I think um, in, in every situation where you find yourself on the outside looking in, there's an opportunity to, to figure out which door or window to go through next and, and which direction to go in life. And if you choose the right path, you can definitely improve your situation. And that's, that's constantly worked for me. How, how big of a transition was that? I mean, you're producing, yeah, you're building your own book of business, but you're working for somebody else, and, and then you move into, hey, I'm partnered with some guys, and we own this. Like, it, it's all on us to do this. How, was that a big transition for you? It is, and it's probably more of a transition than most people really recognize at first because, the, you know, selling insurance to a client is one set of responsibilities. Right. Running the business enterprise is a completely different <laughs> right. set of experiences that, that most people are, are, are not trained to do. They kind of, it kind of falls in their lap if, if they're entrepreneurial and starting something new. If you've worked somewhere else in the capacity where you've worked through different seats of management and so forth, it might be a little easier. But for me, it was a complete set of unknowns. So you didn't have, I mean, really no experience through your college or your other jobs to kind of be the boss? No, none at all. <laughs> what was the biggest, I mean, what was the, it was a while ago, but what was the biggest issue that you faced that you had to kind of learn and overcome to be the boss? Well, initially I spent most of my time in sales, but I, I soon found out that the people who were running the back office of my agency didn't know what they were doing. Okay. And so in, in the insurance business, you're collecting money on behalf of insurance companies at times, what we call agency bill collections, and you're responsible for putting that money into trust and then paying the insurance companies in whatever the invoicing period is. Unbeknownst to me, my people at my agency didn't know what they were doing. <laughs> and so we were spending that money rather than, than putting it oh, into wow. trust. We found ourselves way out of trust and had to, had to correct that. Now, in some states, that's, that, that, that can put you in a, a bad legal position. Um, some people have actually had to pay significant fines and even jail time for doing things like that on purpose. 
in, in Arizona at the time, the requirement was that you're able to pay your bills. Mm. Never stopped being able to pay our bills, but got darn close. <laughs> so that was, a, that was a horrible time in my early career. So that was like a baptism by fire. It was. And, and as a result of that, I took over control of mm. that portion of the management. My partners at the time were doing that and didn't know what they were doing. Um, so I, I added another um, hat, if you will. I was vice president and in charge of production. Before that, I became CEO after that. And still producing your own book of business? Yes, yeah, still producing the largest book of business in the agency. You've talked to me about that before uh, in some of our conversations about how important it is to even if you're the owner, you still have to have a significant amount of time putting business on the books. Yeah, I think especially in a um, smaller agency, the owner has to be um, an example for other producers and in what to do. Not just someone sitting at, at, uh, off to the side hoping that things will happen, right. but, but leading the process. And that's, that's how I saw myself. So take me back, further back, childhood. What, what, kind of, what kind of kid were you? You grew up in, in the Midwest, right? Kansas City area. I had brothers, sisters. Yeah, so born in Chicago. By age six, we moved to Kansas City. One of eight children. It's a big Catholic family. Um, oldest boy of of uh, four boys, second oldest child. So four girls, four boys. Uh, I, I was pretty typical Midwesterner, um, you know, because I was the oldest boy in the family. That meant that I was the one raking the leaves, <laughs> shoveling the driveway, right. uh, you know, mowing the lawn, painting the house, caulking the windows, <laughs> cleaning the gutters, you know, the things that the oldest boy always does in the Midwest families, right? And right. What I figured out even before I was a, a teenager, was I could make money doing that for my neighbors who didn't have that son that's, that was doing that for them, right? So I started mowing lawns and shoveling driveways and raking leaves and all that stuff for, for the neighbors. And by the time I was 12, I probably had $5,000 in the bank. You know, oh, I was, wow. So I was kind of <laughs> entrepreneurial at a very early age. I, start, I, I would buy you know, things like a motorcycle for myself when I was a kid. Wow. So do you think, I mean, is that just, are you just born with that, like that entrepreneurial bent? Can, can you learn that through life? Well, I think it's environmental a little bit because yeah. I was, I was kind of pushed into that role in, in the family structure. And so it, it just became an extension of what I knew how to do. And instead of doing it for free at home, I did it for comp, you know, outside <laughs> right, of home. Right, right, right. What were some of the other uh, entrepreneurial things you did? You said the, the, the mowing lawns, the, I mean, buying things for yourself. I'm sure you probably sold the motorcycle for more than you bought it for. Like, what were some of the other things you did? Yeah, so there were some wacky things. Like, you know, I, I, I took some of the lawn mowing money and I bought a, a, a Coca-Cola dispensing machine. I put it in our garage. I set it up for a quarter a cannon. I opened it up to the neighborhood kids to come and, awesome. come and buy, buy Coke, right? And of course, my, my seven brothers and sisters became big customers and they had to pay of course <laughs> everybody had to pay right? <laughs> so that was their the early entrepreneurial uh, vending machine business um, from from mowing lawns by hand for the first couple of seasons I was able to save up enough money to buy a riding lawn more which meant I could do more lawns you know generate more money so I reinvested in my own businesses at an early age so did you know you wanted to get into business and maybe eventually get into like owning your own business when, when you went off to college? Yeah, so I grew up in what I think was a fairly entrepreneurial environment. My, my parents owned their own business. And at some point, I expected to go into that business. In fact, when I went to school, 
I didn't uh, pay particular attention to any one subject. Um, I was really more focused on social, you know, opportunities <laughs> right, of growth right. and all the rest. And, and the goal when I graduated from college was going to be to go to work in the family business, which I did for one year. I, I, it, it was a food brokerage business food bro in Kansas okay, City. Yeah. I did not like it. <laughs> I did not enjoy it. And I, and I missed Arizona. I did not like the Midwest after spending four years in Arizona. Yeah, so you were, I mean, born and raised Midwest, so you, but Tucson must have been fantastic. Oh, it was wonderful. Yeah, just, just I, I can't recommend it enough to people. <laughs> it was just a wonderful time in my life. So, so you went back for that one year. What was it about the food broker? Was it just the specific business that you didn't like? Um, it, it was probably more the, um, the atmosphere of Kansas City versus what I'd grown more accustomed to in Arizona, both in Tucson and Phoenix. And, and I missed the uh, Southwest, the weather, the, the, the people, the outdoor activities. So that's what drew me back. So you'd say the atmosphere, more kind of the business atmosphere, the way business is done? Because I've noticed a very a big difference in the way business is done kind of in Arizona and how people interact as opposed to Midwest, especially back East Coast. Well, it wasn't so much the business aspects that drew me back. Gotcha. It, was, it was really more the, the, the weather, the climate, the, you know, the social opportunities. So would you, I mean, what advice would you give to somebody listening to this that's in college that's saying, hey, I feel, I feel like I have an entrepreneurial kind of bent. I want to get into business. I, I, you know, I'm not sure which direction I want to go. You kind of didn't necessarily choose insurance, but it kind of presented itself and you grabbed onto it. What advice looking back would you, would you give? Well, I think a lot of people are already doing this, but I didn't when I was a kid, and that is summer internships at different um, um, industries and, and um opportunities each summer I went back to Kansas City and worked in my dad's business and so I was in you know I was I was involved in that food brokerage business it probably was what led to the opportunity to be chosen to work with Coke USA because yeah. it's a connectable experience but I, I think I think my advice would be go out there and, and explore things have a better plan have a better sense of what you might be interested in and be open to exploring those opportunities so the food distribution was a better connection to get you into coke than the coca-cola machine in your garage i think so did yes. that didn't come yeah. up in the interview process yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so you were a business owner insurance agency fast forward back there you you realized you guys needed to fix some things so you became the ceo of that Tell me the process. How did that lead to? Because, like I said, as I when I met you, you'd already started. You know, you owned a, a, a business in insurance. You'd already acquired a few folks. Eventually, sold to a bigger group. How did that whole process? When did it kind of click in your mind? Like, oh, we acquiring is a great way to build our business as opposed to just selling one policy at a time. So actually, fairly early on. So I started my first agency in 1990. By 1991, I had acquired a very small agency, and it was a. Uh, very entrepreneurial sort of experience on a very small scale. Mm -hmm. So it was it was an agency that had two or three people. We had four or five people. By most um, current agency acquisition M and A standards, it wouldn't even be a, a, a an acquisition. It would be just a, a, a kind of a merger of two very small businesses right. together, right? But what I found from that is that there was a lot of cost um, synergies, a lot of revenue um, growth opportunities, more resources for myself and the other producers in the agency, and it allowed us to grow more quickly. What are the differences between that, that small one 
and then fast forward years later, you're doing big, big acquisitions. Yeah, so the, the, the smaller ones are kind of add-on opportunities, in, in, and in my early career, it was add-on to one location. I had a single location. I would acquire a small group and add them to what I was doing inside the same facility. As I moved forward in my career, and I started uh, acquiring firms on a larger scale across the U.S., the, the focus was more on how do you build something in a, in a different city, in a different state, and have it stand up on its own, and what can you add to it, how good are the people that you're associating with, what do they need in order to be more successful. How many deals have you done? Do you, do you keep a tally to keep a count, like how many acquisitions you made? I, I don't anymore, but <laughs> something north of 110 acquisitions in the last 25 years. So to get 110 acquisitions in the last 25 years, how, how many how many other businesses have you looked at to find those 110 that make sense? Oh, I've, I've probably looked at five or six times that number and had you know relevant conversations, meaningful conversations with those principals. What were some of the learning? I'm assuming now when you look at one, you can tell fairly quickly whether it's gonna make sense or not? Yeah, so people sell for different reasons and people buy for different reasons. In, in my case, I was mostly interested in buying agencies where the principals wanted to keep going forward and they were looking to expand their resources and their opportunities um, and their wealth. Some agencies are, are better at buying firms where the owners are at the end of the game and they want to hand over the keys and they don't want to be involved in decision making or future you know, management of, of, of the agency. Why were you more interested in that, uh, getting, you know, buying or merging with acquiring an owner that's still in the game? So I, I've kind of always been of the mindset that the culture and the value of an agency has a lot to do with the way it became what it is and transitioning it forward through additional resources more capital access to you know some grander experience of management and so forth those are all things that would help kind of speed up the growth of a of an acquired firm with the right principles already in place for me i, I look at agency principles who are supportive of their employees protective of their insurance company relationships, and who look at their clients as their friends. To me, that's the combination that's, that's a win. There's some agency principals that don't do any of those things. They, they, they run a business for the profit and loss, or they may not like their employees at all, or they may have you know, horrible sentiments about uh, <laughs> the insurance companies, or what have you. And each... Each buyer out there is looking for, for different elements of, in, in these aspects that, that matter to them. Those, those three matter to me. Are those easy to figure out about a possible acquisition just by talking to them, meeting with them? I, I think so, yeah. So, you know, think people are pretty transparent um, over time. You can ask a question five or six different ways and get different answers or the same answer. And that, that consistency tends to, you know, come into play when you're, when you're making a decision around what's important when you're when you're acquiring another firm have you seen that mergers and acquisitions change i mean you've been in it for 25 years right have you how have you seen that change because it seemed like it used to be grandpa or dad would start an agency and then son or daughter would come in and take over that agency and then ideally son and daughter after that and now we're seeing just especially in this market a ton of acquisitions happening where 
maybe people don't have a, a you know, a, a plan moving forward. So they want to sell for that reason, or, you know, they're just getting a lot of money thrown at them. So they decide to go with it. Yeah. I think all those things come into play. So, you know, 25 years ago, the, the, the average price for purchasing an agency was almost a standard pricing of one and a half times revenue. And today it's all about earnings uh, and multiples of earnings and EBITDA and um, the, the valuations have gone way up from where they were, in some cases two, three, four times where they were 25 years ago. So the reliability of the income streams from the insurance brokerage business have become um, something that's well known especially in the private equity um, space. And so investors are lined up to be in our space. There's just lots of opportunity. Every time an agency is acquired, two or three people leave and start their own agencies. And so there's, there's, there's all these little seedlings that are growing up, and 10 years later, they become acquisition candidates themselves. What's the pitch when you go in to talk to somebody that, or do you do a pitch if, if they are of that, you know, the owners still have room they still want to grow they still want to be active so it's not a hey i'm going to take you over just kind of stick you into my group and and you're going to retire what what's the conversation like or the pitch if you will yeah for me the qualifier is that they're going to stay around um if if i speak to an agency principal and he says uh, he or she says they're they're going to leave upon sale i'm i'm going to point them somewhere else because i'm not the right party for them that's not my model that's not the way i think about it um so it, it is the, one of the first things I try to determine. So, you know, what I, uh, this might be a little bit off the, well, I think it's on the subject here. I was over at uh, GCU. They were doing a meeting um, about, you know, trying to have insurance be, you know, one of the, one of the tracks you could take in the Colangelo School of Business over there. So I was over there with some other insurance guys and stuff. We met some students afterwards. And so many of the students that we met, this was about two years ago, they're very concerned about what in the world am I going to do, you know, when I get out of here. I don't remember having that concern when I was in college because I was kind of like you. I was, I mean, I got a theater degree, so I was like, I'm not going to do anything with that, probably. <laughs> I was more having a good time, you know, and thinking, hey, I'll figure it out as I go. But they were so concerned. A lot of them were about, man, what's my, my next step? Is insurance a good, good next step for some of these guys? I think so. And whether the track is insurance company or insurance brokerage, there's lots of specialties out there. Whether, you know, you come from a liberal arts degree and you want to focus on things that have to do with the, the music world or entertainment, there's specialties in, in all those fields that are insurance related. And having the expertise in another industry is very transferable to the insurance business. So I, I, I think it's a wonderful track that I did not consider at all when I was a student. Well, what, what was it about it that when you did get that start with Jardine, because after they let you go, um, laid you off, whatever it was, I mean, you could have gone right back into the to corporate world. I'm sure the, the marketing world would have been there, the technology world like you had before. What was it that made you think, hey, I think I want to keep doing this? Well, I had been involved at that point for about five years in, in, the, in a sales role as a producer. And so I felt pretty comfortable with the skill set that I developed, and I knew it was valuable. Uh, I, I didn't know where it would take me in my life, but I, I knew right. I could support my family. I, I had, um, at that point, uh, one child and one on the way. My wife was pregnant. So I needed to do something that was going to support our family, and I, I knew that would would continue to do that for us and you didn't end up with eight kids right no two was enough <laughs> two, two, we stopped at two 
Well, so what's what's the future for you? I mean, I know you you've got you're, you're out there, you're acquiring, you're building. Uh, businesses again. Um, what's the future for you hold the next five, 10 years? Yeah, so I think I think we all develop uh, as as we mature in life. And for me, the the earliest track was trying to support my family. Then the, the next step was to try to build a little bit of wealth. I think the, the next step was to then try to build something on a national scale. And so having had some success in all of that, now I'm looking at things through a different lens. For me now, I'm looking to build something that my son and I can enjoy running together with other partners that could be as small as local Phoenix, Arizona, or as large as the whole country. Uh, it just depends on where the opportunities take us. It, we're in a fortunate position in that there's lots of capital available in this to this industry. The experiences I've had support getting access to capital and having people interested in providing that uh, support. And we have enough capital of our own to, to get a good start and a good head start on building something nice. Is now a good time for people to think about um, starting a business and, and looking to acquire some of that capital? Did you see that changing over the years, the, the, the access to capital? Well, the, the cost of capital is probably as low as it's ever been, so it's it's likely not to hold at that level mm -hmm. forever. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's pretty enticing at the moment. You can borrow in the three, four, five percent range pretty regularly now for many industries, and and that's attractive as long as you're able to continue to grow revenues and and bottom line. I don't see any reason, any impediments to doing well in the insurance brokerage space. And you said your son works with you now? Was that, did, has he worked with you for a while now or is that something recent? Yeah, when he graduated from college, he came to work for the agency that I owned. He did not enjoy it very much. <laughs> and he went out and he got into the investment banking space. And then he started his own firm in, in that space where he goes out and, and helps business owners or private equity groups uh, find platforms to buy and add-ons to, to add to their business model. And one of the industries that his company has been involved in is insurance and insurance brokerage. And by virtue of my involvement in the business, so the companies that I've been involved with have been willing to utilize his services and those of his team. And so we've worked together quite a bit in acquiring agencies over the last 10 years. So he has that entrepreneurial bent as well? Absolutely. Yeah, he actually <laughs> started his company when he was 24, I believe. I've got ahead of you a little bit, right? Yeah, I started my first one when I was about 30. Yeah, there you go. And your, your daughter, is she entrepreneurial as well? My daughter, less so. She works in the financial space in mm. California, recently married, and uh, I think uh, first puppy in hand, <laughs> first first home purchase, but not yet into it yet. So wow. She's in the very early stages. She's uh, uh, 29, and I think uh, she's going to do really well, but I think her husband is more of the entrepreneur in their family. They like California. They haven't decided to move back to Phoenix yet like everybody else, it seems like. <laughs> Not yet. Her, her husband's from the Newport Beach area. Oh, okay. So they're, they're, he grew up there, and he's very comfortable there. They're, yeah, they're, they're nice parts there. Do you, do you see yourself being in Arizona the rest of your life? No, no desire, no pull to go back to the Midwest at all? Uh, no, no pull, per se. We've, we've looked all over the country for different places to have second homes and so forth. Uh, and we've had second homes in a number of other states. But... Arizona, I think, will always be our home base. Um, we probably will look for some place to spend our summers. 
Yeah. Well, we've had a place in Flagstaff for many, many years, which we sold recently. So we don't have that mountain home anymore. <laughs> Last couple of times I went back to KC because I'm from Kearney up, up, you know, north of Kansas City. I had a little bit of a pull. Like I, I'd never been really that nostalgic about it. But the last couple of times I went back, I was like, man, this is a really great, great town. But then it snowed and I was like, I, I got to get out of here. Yeah. So I, I when people ask me about Kansas City, I say that is a great family town. Um, I, I really enjoyed growing up there. It was a, a wonderful place to be part of a, a family and a community and um, the school system I was involved in fortunately was really really good it was uh, much like the Brophy mm-hmm. Jesuit uh, all-boy experience Is that here, Rockhurst? here in Phoenix it was Rockhurst, Rockhurst in yeah. Kansas City and uh, I have some really great memories and some uh, really fond um, relationships with uh, former classmates and so forth but um, Arizona's home and has been for the last 40 years. All right, last question. Did you watch the entire Super Bowl, or your brother told me you turned it off at halftime, so? I couldn't turn it off. I was too, <laughs> I was, I was, I was too hopeful. Um, I'm the same way. I told him I'm an optimist. I watched to the bitter end. Yeah, I wanted to see even a last gasp uh, t- touchdown by the Chiefs <laughs> right. would have at least given me some satisfaction. So, no, it was, uh, although I'm a Brady fan, you know, I admit sure, it. Yeah. Uh, I think he's a, he's a great um smart football player um i wanted to see the chiefs do a lot better yeah i i've always tried to make the argument he's tom brady's not the greatest and every year he just makes it harder and harder and harder for me to make now i'm a total idiot for making that argument i used to be kind of an idiot for making that argument but every the stuff he does it's really just amazing and i mean this kind of brings a full circle you talked about looking at the culture in those acquisitions that being important man him just showing up in tampa bay changed that culture like almost overnight it seemed like yeah, I think you don't have to be the best athlete to be the most successful athlete. And he, he proves that point. There are other quarterbacks that could run circles around him mm. physically. But when you take his physical capabilities together with his mental capabilities, he's a more sound player than most. And, and he proves it over and over again. Last piece of advice for anybody out there thinking about jumping into acquiring some capital, whatever the business might be, insurance, anything, or expanding their business. Any last kind of parting words of advice for, for the business owners or entrepreneurs, young entrepreneurs out there? Uh, from my own experience, I would say try to avoid the big mistakes. I, I, I can tell you that the big mistakes were setbacks for me, and um, they, you know, they're learning experiences, but I'd, I'd rather learn them vicariously rather than directly. So try to avoid those direct uh, bad experiences. Hey, Terry, thanks for the time. I appreciate the conversation. My pleasure. Take care.